0: Welcome back, fantastic listeners. It's me, Sam. And me, Anna. And today, we're continuing our adventure with the book (laughs) The Name of the Wind, chapters 47 through 52.
1: And before we get started, I have three announcements, and I told you to help me remember them. Um, I forgot. (laughs) So one, I wanted to thank Jackie for being our first guest on the show last episode. That was super fun. And hopefully we can have more guests in the future.
0: Two. Then we have a suggestion list.
1: Oh yes, we are gonna start putting out some mini episodes on anything topical or oh, any yeah. for any, <laughs> for any <laughs> fantasy book. So if any listeners have suggestions for what to what they'd like to hear us discuss, it could be anything as simple as like your favorite fantasy character or which book you'd like to live in. Or things that require a little bit more forethought, like I suggested maybe we pretend we're casting a movie based on a book and who would we pick or, you know, really anything. So just if you have any ideas, definitely reach out um, on our website, fantasticbookspod.com. You can reach us there. And my third and final announcement was, if anyone has time, please, please go on iTunes and give us a review and a rating there. That really helps the podcast grow, and that is the only platform that podcasts can receive ratings on. So if you are an Apple or a Mac person, go on iTunes and leave us a review there. But without further ado, I think we are ready for chapter 47.
0: Let's get to it.
1: Chapter 47, Barb's. So this chapter kind of summarizes the last little bit of Kubo's first term in a kind of like a time lapsey way. Yeah. So he's like, you know, my first term went okay. I, I went <laughs> and studied in medica. I became really good friends with Will and Sim.
0: I shook off falling off a roof and getting whipped. You know, <laughs> first term stuff. You know,
1: casual first term things. His uh, his bunkmates teach him a card game called
0: Dog's Breath. Oh my god, I love this. First of all, what like a lame. Card game name.
1: It sounds like a real card game, though. I
0: mean, it's, I guess it's, like, craps or, um, you know, bullshit. Like, there's all those different card games. so it's comparable.
1: Or, like, I used to play one called Egyptian Rat Screw. <laughs> which is just, like, a slapping game. Yeah. But, um, whatever. Anyway, he, uh, he says he gives them a lesson in psychology, probability, and manual dexterity, a.k.a. He gives them a run for their money, and wins a whole bunch of rounds in a slightly shady way. Your
0: boy takes him to the cleaners. (laughs) Yeah. And thus, he's not invited back for card games, but it does leave him with two talents, which is really good, because...
1: He had nothing, right? He was
0: pretty much destitute. After
1: he spent his last talent on the stacks fee or whatever.
0: Yeah, so oh. he was hurting.
1: Yeah, so he does get some money back. Um, and he does work in Kilbin's workshop, and Kilbin pays him occasionally.
0: Yeah, i learn a few jots here or there.
1: And I think, I forget which part we're reading, but I think it's 20 jots to a talent?
0: I think that's the uh, equivalent, yeah.
1: So, he's, he's doing okay. But a lot of this chapter is also about how... Much, like, rumor and, like, mystique is building up around Kavoth. So, like, he...
0: He's earned his reputation through a lot of deeds. But what I love about the book and the series, and kind of what's going on even now, is that his reputations also shrouded with mystery and people can't figure out the fact from the fiction. Yeah. And so, obviously, we have, like, the true stories, you know.
1: Like, when he gets whipped and doesn't bleed, like, that's a true story, but there's no explanation for it that anyone has. So yeah. Yeah. Becomes sort of fantastical, or how he uh, got Eladan so mad that he pushed him off the roof. Yeah, <laughs> and he just lets that like both that slide as, as being the truth, being the truth because it's better to what really happened. But that's
0: what I love about a lot of like the the Kvothe stories or you know legends around Kvoth is that what actually happened and what people think happened are two totally different stories
1: yes like that's such a running theme
0: yeah like, throughout all the books but he ends up kind of helping you know stir the pot and spread out some rumors with um a classmate of his i forget the dude's um, name basil that's who it who
1: was his bunkmate from
0: the muse the muse yeah, yeah so some of them were like real, where he was paid three talents to study at the university.
1: But then there's some totally random ones. Like, like, I only sleep an hour each night. I have demon blood. Uh, When the moon is full, I talk in my sleep.
0: Yeah, just nonsense, but, you know, people...
1: I mean, he loves drama, and he's been, like, planting the seeds for all these rumors, and then just watching them spread throughout the university, so I think he's really just enjoying himself.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like he was mentioning earlier, like, with the rumors and everything else, it's cultivating an armor, and yeah. so if people believe you can't get hurt, then that makes you, like, not immortal, What's the word I'm looking for. You know, you're just...
1: He's not really vulnerable in Yes, way, thank you. And it is smart, too, because he came in, he has no family, he has no reputation, so he could have just gone through the universe and he kept his head down and been a nobody, but then no one would have his back ever.
0: Yeah, and to quote him, if you're going to be an arcanist, you might as well be a well-known one.
1: Mm, true.
0: So, badass points. I
1: think it's, like, he figures he can go in and he may as well, like, make this huge kind of, like, entrance for himself because that's the only thing he has going. I feel like he's just, like, a high-stakes ruler, you know? Yeah. Like, he's taking lots of risks, but the reward is greater because he has not that much to lose if he doesn't do that. Yeah. Like, he could go through and just get, like, a normal education and kind of, like, go about his time, but... Which That's is obviously funny. not how he plays his life.
0: Yeah, because so many people going through what he'd gone through. He was basically, his family was murdered. He was destitute in, like, a city for years. Just, you know, willing to survive. Finally got accepted to university. Finally some stability and education. You'd think somebody wouldn't want to, like, jeopardize that. And what does he do, like... Oh, immediately
1: jeopardizes everything. <laughs> Sorry, our cats are running around in the background. Speaking of jeopardizing everything, the other part of this chapter is how much he and Ambrose are always, like, back and forth at each other.
0: Yes. Uh, this The rivalry's great, because it's just such a bitter hatred at this point.
1: Yeah. I think he says...
0: There's a whole line about them going into business to more effectively hate yes, one another.
1: Like, it's such a good rivalry to the point where it's not just like, oh, he's my enemy. Like, they relish in getting back at each other, and yeah. they go out of their way to do so. And it's funny because most people, like, if they have an enemy, obviously will, like, avoid them or try not to start conflict with them. But Kavoth just keeps, like, pushing for it. And he's he keeps saying Ambrose keeps, like, coming up to him and trying to start stuff. But I think Kavoth is equally trying to start stuff with him, too. I think that's just because they are complete polar opposites from each other. But there's no real reason they need to have this intense rivalry.
0: Yeah, no. It's just... I think part of it, too, is Ambrose has never encountered somebody that was willing to push back. He's high nobility, not even just regular nobility. He's used to everyone kind of keeping their head down, comparable to that whole story when he was in Tarby and pretending to be a noble, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the shopkeeper with the clothes. Like, you let these pompous brats run their whirlwind, keep your head down, hope they dissipate, but, like, Kavoth has no time for that. No. Which is actually kind of admirable, like, it's foolish, but being a Demaru, he was, in society's viewpoint, like, the bottom rung on the ladder. Mm-hmm. So status and name mean nothing to him, where that's good and bad, because it means nothing to him. Nobody can impose their will or pretend they're better, but because he ignores that, it can often lead to trouble.
1: Well, I think he's just trying to push the bounds of society and especially because he is at the bottom and say like that's not fair like I'm talented and something that would be better would be for me to like push against nobility who just gets all these things that they get because they are rich and on top whereas like I've had to work hard for stuff and I am talented and I'm not getting my piece of the pie so I think that's why he does that but the problem is the rest of the world doesn't operate under that same kind of opinion so yeah he just looks like I'm sure for, to some people he looks like an idiot for constantly trying to pick a fight with someone who's in line for the throne.
0: Yeah. Well he is smart, but he is foolish, so that's our That's goal. why
1: I, I like I do think of him as like a high stakes roller. Yeah. Like that's like the best analogy I think I've come up with so far.
0: And that pretty much wraps up chapter forty seven. Chapter forty eight. Interlude. A silence of a different kind. So this whole I little don't like subsection the
1: chapters,
0: I don't mind them. This one I like for the foreshadowing, and there's only one other part about it that I actually find interesting. And they kind of break down this whole thing about fear. Oh yeah, with the prerequisite chapter about first Kavoth not really having any fear since he had such a hard life at Tarbion and he's basically saying I'm not afraid of Ambrose, and he's basically saying I was a fool. Yeah. So we have, like, foreshadowing point number one. Then with this one, we basically have Boss' character talking about how different experiences led him to be more cautious, but he was never really afraid, except for the fact he's, like, truly afraid of the fact of silence with Kavod. Yeah.
1: There's something
0: about it that strikes, like, a primal fear in him. So
1: I read it something that potentially the reason why the silence that surrounds Kvothe is so intense is because he actually knows the name of silence and is calling oh. it. And I have no idea if that's true, but they do talk about like how intense it is.
0: And how it permeates like, the surrounding area. Yeah, yeah, it's more
1: than just regular silence. So I don't know if it's more of a metaphorical silence that's representing potentially Kvothe's depression or like his resignation to... I think maybe, like, the death of old Kvothe and not his coat. So, like yeah. maybe the death of his his character in a symbolic way, or if he physically knows how to speak the name of silence and is calling it for some reason in these moments. What if
0: you don't even speak the name of silence? What if it's just, like, a, like an aura or presence you omit?
1: Oh, maybe. Well, we did say last time when we were talking about naming how maybe you're not really like conscious when you call the name of something. It just kind of like... It falls. You, you feel it and it, it comes out of you. Yeah. Like the sound or the name comes out of you.
0: So I think this whole kind of like allegory and moment with Boss actually having true fear about Kavoth and his silence is obviously more than it is represented in the moment. I think he's afraid that within the silence... As you were mentioning, it's both giving up and falling deep into that despair. Mm-hmm. And him telling the story, his boss hoped that he'll wake up and re-remember who he truly is. But we also have a really great setup, in my opinion, and I absolutely love is, um, you know, they finally bring up, like, what's missing in the story. And it's dead. Oh, Denna. Yeah! And so there's this really It's
1: funny too cuz cuz you're talking about foreshadowing and stuff and this isn't a foreshadowing but just like um like paralleling a literary style but so the last interlude they said what's missing in the story and they said boss said like
0: the wise, a, a, a wise old,
1: man. old man and now he's saying okay what's missing in the story now so like this kind of repetitive parallelism between the interlude chapters is cool.
0: Yeah. So they 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 offer a little bit more than you think when you first read through it.
1: Some of them are good. Some of them I don't really care for, and like the ones where all of the villagers are out and about, I don't really like because I don't have an interest in their characterizations that much. Mm. Like old Cobb and Shem, and,
0: <laughs> we both hate old Cobb oh, so I much. Hate him. He just um, sucks.
1: He's boring. But then, as the interludes do go on, more and more interesting and intriguing and mysterious things happen in them. So they do get better as they go on, but they, they're fine.
0: Yes. <laughs> So one little point I want to drop on here that I absolutely love and I never realized it until maybe the second read through was um, once they're talking about how like the story needs a woman, the woman, and he's referring to Denna and he needs a moment to kind of think about the setup of when she actually re enters his life. Mm hmm. He mentions the line for Chronicler to, you know, pick up his pen and continue writing. And he says, she's in the wings now, waiting for her cue. Let us set the stage for her arrival. And that's, like, actually how she reappears in his life. Later on, when we get to the point at the... Oh,
1: on a stage? Like, wait, she's in the wings.
0: Yeah, oh, when yeah. he performs for his talent pipes. And, you know, we'll get to that in a few chapters well, down the road. Well, he's a
1: performer. So I think he just thinks of his entire life as, like, a performance. Yeah. With all lots and lots of little acts in it. So it makes sense that he uses that, that choice of words in that situation. But I do love, like, the idea of her, like, waiting in the wings for her grand entrance.
0: Yeah, and, like, obviously she's, like, her own person and, like, living a life. And it's, like, that's, like, not, like, her being, like, oh, my time's here. I'm entering the story. But, like...
1: No, but I think the way we all reflect on our own lives and think of our own stories like people pass in and out of our memories and like when they enter can be such a pivotal moment for us or when someone leaves our memories yeah and maybe for them it's not the same kind of experience but having that kind of understanding of like she is so pivotal in his life that he's like waiting for like the star of his show to appear chapter 49 the nature of wild things This chapter,
0: I mean, short and sweet, we get to the end of the semester and there's basically exams that will determine tuition for the next semester.
1: Yeah, I was going to say this chapter opens with a couple of like paragraphs where he's talking about how like, yes, Denna is waiting in the wings, but she's such a wild character Um. and he wants to approach her with such care the way you approach like a wild animal that might scare away. So I just thought that was a really interesting way, because he he clearly wants to include her in his story because she is so important, but I think he's also a little bit nervous of jumping right into telling the story about her, which is why he says, all right, we've set up, we need to enter her character, but it takes several more chapters for her to even appear, so he has to go into this whole backstory of like why he has to go across the road to Imre, which is where he ends up meeting her, which leads us to this chapter, which is... The fact that he's getting his tuition set and he can't afford it now. So he has to go over to Emory to figure out how to get enough money.
0: Well, you actually bring up a good point that I forgot, which is awesome because it really is her, he, Kavoth is describing her essence so well that she is like a, kind of like a doe that is just always like ready to bound off away. Mm -hmm. And even with his relationship with her through the books, it's always like, Gets close, but never too close can never, like, scare her off. And she, like, really is a wild thing because she's always going from place to place, kind of doing her own thing.
1: Yeah, she's very flighty.
0: And so I really I always kind appreciate of that. think uh, of
1: her, yeah, like, if she were an animal in my mind, I always picture her as a butterfly. Like, she's so beautiful. But if you, like, get too close and touch, like, if you touch a butterfly's wings, it destroys it. So, like, you can't get too close because you might hurt her. And, like, you have to hold very, very still, and the butterfly might land on you, but only for a brief moment, and then it's off again.
0: Yeah. Ooh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> it's beautiful. But, yes. Yeah, <laughs>
1: poetry. <laughs> Just kidding. Cloth hates poetry.
0: He does. He has <laughs> such a disdain, actually, like, this whole thing coming up about this. Yeah, there is. So. Uh,
1: but now that it's the second time for admissions, he knows he can't
0: He can't cheat. cheat
1: like he did the first time by listening in.
0: Because that'll be conduct unbecoming of a member of the Arcanum and lead to expulsion. He does not want to risk that. At
1: least he's not risking it this time. He's always making dumb decisions, so I'm glad that he's decided to just play by the book this time.
0: So due to his uh, ongoing grudge with Hem, and then Branger is always in Hem's corner, they really kind of throw a stick in his wheel and really trip him up on some questions, so his Tuition? Thank you. (laughs) His tuition is for three talents, nine jots, which is, like, just a little bit over what he had saved up the entire semester. Did he say he
1: had three talents?
0: It was... Yeah, so he's basically, like, eight jots more than he had. Uh So, for what it's worth, it was, like, really impressive that he he was able... He was close.
1: I think if he had kept his head down and not angered so many people right off the get-go, he wouldn't have had such a tough time. Mm -hmm. But whatever. You can't undo what you've
0: done. Yeah, so, a young ward has to (laughs) find a way to acquire more money and none of the coldest money lenders will help him out, and since he has no name or jewelry to pawn, he has to basically borrow from a Gaelic, which I love that in this world that they're referred to as copper copper hawks.
1: It's like like a payday loan place. Yeah, like a loan shark. Yeah, but they make it sound so glamorous and Medieval and fantasy, yes. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, you know, you've worked at a payday loan place. Like, it is not well, a glamorous type of...
0: No, paperwork. it's just built to entrap people.
1: Yeah, it's a messed up system.
0: Yes. So, thus his need to cross the river over to Emre. Chapter 50, Negotiations. Yes! I love this Such chapter. a good chapter. So,
1: we meet my favorite character this well, chapter.
0: We do. Let's let's get to the precursor. Oh, I, know, I know I'm just
1: so excited because Debbie is my favorite character.
0: I know, just badass. And just so like eloquent. Walks the walk, talks the talk. A great character.
1: And I like that they weren't just like she's a smart woman, cuz that's such a trope in books, like Hermione type characters. She's interesting. She's bending the law a little bit. She's like a woman in like a man's profession. She's really smart. She's really powerful, but also badass just really cool <laughs> so i love her
0: <laughs> let's talk a little about about imray sorry no that's totally fine i just it's all jazzed up about her it's literally jazz town imray
1: <laughs> oh it is jazz town it's it a fairly musical town
0: city of the cultural arts but um
1: <laughs> if it was a real city which city would it be in your opinion
0: i don't know why i instantly thought of like we're from Rhode Island, but Providence, Rhode Island, like, Lupo's with, like, all, like, the restaurants and stuff. Oh. But it's, like, downtown. But, like, obviously this is, like, medieval theme, but it would be, like, you know, all the different, like, music shops. And then you have the Aeolian and then restaurants and... Oh. So it's very, like, metropolitan.
1: But, like, small city? Yeah. Like, it's it's not like a New Orleans. No. Like, music in the streets, crazy parties. Like, that's not how you picture it.
0: Not on that scale at all. That's why I thought Providence would... Um, okay,
1: I don't... I, that's not how I pictured it either. I was just wondering. Yeah, Because it is portrayed as like...
0: This... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, um, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> all right, anyway, Imray.
0: So, Imre, as we've mentioned, very culturally rich, but I like this... It's It has a, an interesting relationship with the university and vice versa, where... Mray is very into like the cultural arts and kinda is weirded out by the university with the idea like the general populace thinks of a bunch of wizards tampering with unknown dark forces that are better left unknown. But they also cash in on the fact that they have access to like mirrors and medicine and Eyeglasses. sympathy lamps and tools.
1: Yeah, there's, like, a way later, I think, in the second book, but there's a character who has basically, like, a refrigerator that runs on sympathy magic, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, it's Ankers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think
1: it's weird that even... So the town that's right next to it, I would think, would have had the best relationship with the university.
0: Yeah, because they can reap all the benefits.
1: Right. So it's odd to me that they're still suspicious of the university, even though, like, no... Arcanus has been burned in, what, 300 years? Yeah. There's been no, like, general malfeasance. And it is strange to me that there are students from all over multiple countries, even though the university has this kind of, like, weird, strange reputation of being, like, a place of dark magic?
0: Well, that's just it. Think about it. The university is one of the only few centers of education. Right. So that's to be implied, other than trades... The rest of the world's kind of ignorant and holds to their superstitions.
1: So how does it get students from all over the world then?
0: Because it has a reputation and other than like educators from the university bringing other students, it's why a lot of like their mentality is, where's your recommendation letter?
1: I guess so. But their re- their, their reputation other isn't that it's a place of education, it's that it's a place of magic and like dangerous
0: yeah, and so that'll attract some people, but I think, for the most part, people have a way of finding out the fact from the fiction. I mean, I think it's kind of just like the rumors with Kvothe. I Even guess though so. he's right there, all the people around him are, like, right there. They still don't know the full story, just like the people in Emory don't know the full story of the university.
1: That is a good point. I can't argue with that logic right there.
0: <laughs> There's a brain in here.
1: I never said there wasn't.
0: But... Vice versa relationship, I like that a lot of the people at the university kind of have a disdain for the people of Imray because they're like, oh, those who don't have like the mental fortitude or the intelligence to study here will just pick up the arts and fr- like, you know, waste their time, you know, over in Imray.
1: Yeah, but then they all love going over there to see shows and the lineup for, for music and concerts and stuff.
0: Yeah, so it's like this weird begrudging relationship where it really, there is no rivalry. It's just two really... Two
1: totally different mindsets. I mean, it's like the hard sciences versus the arts. Yeah. There's always going to be a which one's more useful or which one's better kind of situation.
0: Right, so we have Kvothe over in Imre, and he does make a little aside in this chapter that I find very interesting, where he was mentioning how...
1: He'd been there once. He'd been
0: there once, and it was so rough for him because he basically, after his family died and his father's loot was destroyed in Tarby and he'd been without music for years, and although it pained him, it was, like, a dull ache, but when he went over the river with Will and Sim one night and heard someone playing music, Mm -hmm. just hearing it and not being able to play it, like, was just, like, horrible for him. I think he describes it as, like, watching your wife in another man's arms like it was just like devastating for him
1: yeah he he compares it to the sweet eaters which is the basically drug users he'd seen in tarbion and how addicting they addicted they were to
0: denoress that's
1: what it is and how he saw this girl take off all her clothes and dance in the snow and it was just like so pitiful and sad just so she could get like a little bit more denoress and And he was like, you know what, at the time I thought that was insane, but like, I would do anything to be able to play music. And so The Temptation, it was so great after that first time he didn't want to go, which makes sense also because the only other time he interacted with music was when he played that guy's lute, Josen's lute.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: like, it was such an intense outpouring of music that he played really hard and like everyone around him like felt just, like, kind of unsettled by it, and then he cried and had to, like, leave the group for a little Uh, bit. (laughs) I'm feeling
0: feelings. (laughs) I
1: know, like, there are too many feelings. So if that was the last time he played and he hasn't been able to, like, reawaken that side of him, I can see why he was like, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to see what people have that I can't have.
0: Yeah. So he's back.
1: (laughs) So anyway, he went back over there. And he was had had been asking around trying to get uh, information, and is led to Debbie's place. And Debbie is, as you said, a galet who lends like the most desperate people money. Yes. So it's both saw like psyching himself up and getting all ready to like
0: confront this confront this furry... like big
1: dude and like have a conversation that's kind of full of like insults and threats and like shake his hand real and bravado, rough. Yeah, all
0: like. So you want a loan, eh? We're going to bust your knees if you don't pay us on time, see? Yeah, Yeah.
1: so he gets all, like, amped up to go in there, and his hands are all sweaty, like, wipes them on his cloak, and knocks on the door, and this cute little button of a girl opens the door. I mean, she's, like, 20. She's not a child, but... um,
0: (laughs) A six-year-old. You want money?
1: (laughs) You want money? (laughs) He's immediately, like, taken aback and says he's looking for Debbie. And she's like, yep, you found her. That's me. Come on in. And they describe her room as, in my opinion, very pleasant. But I also really like Debbie. So her room has no windows, but it's, like, really well lit. And there's, like, candles. So I just imagine kind of, like, this really, like, rosy flickering light in it. And there's a big, big bed in one corner um, with the hangings all around it. And then there's a desk, a bookshelf. And that's it. So it's very simple, but... It just seems really homey to Mm. me. And it seems like she left the university and has been on her own. So this is kind of like her own little space she's carved out for herself in a tough world. So I thought it was just really cute. Yeah. I liked it. Um, But Kamath jumps right into the conversation and goes, I need a loan without even introducing himself.
0: And I love that she just calls him out on his BS.
1: Yeah. She's like, okay, well, how about your name
0: first? Yeah.
1: And it's interesting because he says his name is Kavoth, and she's heard of him. Yeah. So his rumors are definitely swirling around a little bit further, I think, than even he expected. It's funny because all she says about it is that (laughs) she thought he'd be taller.
0: I love that, though. It's like a classic trope, but it's just good. It's like you you still have bigger shoes to fill. Your story isn't done yet.
1: I also think, like, oh, I've heard of you, so I think maybe in his opinion he thought... He'd get a little, like, get away with, like, having a little bit of a reputation. Maybe that would work in his favor. But then she immediately knocks him down and and is like, hmm, I thought you'd be taller. Yeah. So, like, You're taking control that. of the situation, yeah. So, unfortunately, he asks for a talent or eight jots of a loan. And she says that's not worth it. So he he tries to negotiate, but her terms are pretty strict,
0: yeah, no, she isn't playing. So, so she
1: only does four talent loans and obviously he does not need that much, so he doesn't want to borrow any extra.
0: And it's a minimum fifty percent for the what do you wanna call it, like a loan deferral, basically?
1: Well he owes fifty percent interest at the end of Thank every you. term. That's the word so I was looking for. Basically if he takes the four talents now at the end of this term, which I think is only three months, mhm, he'll owe two talents or 6 to pay off the entire loan.
0: Yeah. And so he like at first tries to negotiate and she's like I don't think you realize this is how it's going to go down. Like there is no choice. This is like what I do, take it or leave it.
1: And she's like the bottom rung. Like he doesn't have really anywhere else to go at this point. Yeah. It's not like he's shopping around for interest rates at different banks. Like this is pretty much his only option or drop out of the university.
0: Yeah, and I love that she's smart. She knows what's up. She's like, it's kindling, isn't it? You basically owe your money to the university by, like, today or tomorrow. I think
1: it's tomorrow, yeah. So she knows he doesn't have a lot of time.
0: And so he was like, where do I sign? She's like, oh, honey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nobody told you.
0: Yeah, so she wants three drops of his blood, and he immediately is like, absolutely not. Like, he knows that... You know, with his blood, she can one, douse him, which is using sympathy to locate him wherever he goes. Yeah. Or technically... Before malfeasance. Yeah, the threat of malfeasance is right there.
1: So, if everyone remembers, like, the situation with Heme and the doll at the beginning, and like, how bad the link was with a piece of hair, having three drops of someone's blood, you can do a lot of damage to them. Yeah,
0: I should wreck them. And so, he was like, This is ridiculous. I'm getting out of here. And she was like, well, I'll be here.
1: I love that he asks if there's any other gimlets around, and she's like, sure, but why would I tell you? Yeah,
0: like, come on, Like, why would I
1: send you to my competitors?
0: And so I really love the fact that he kind of storms out of there, and it's almost as if he was, like, sleepwalking, where the next thing he knows, he... Is in a pawn shop, and he's looking at a lute.
1: Which is crazy, because he knows he doesn't have enough money right now to buy anything.
0: And so, you know, it's not the most beautiful lute he's ever seen. It's definitely well-worn and a little creaky. It's definitely shown its years of, like, wear and tear on I it. I think it
1: was already on, like, the lower end of loops. Anyway. Yeah, I think it's
0: like a second or third time around lute for sure.
1: Right, but I'm saying even on its first like time around, it wasn't like a high quality instrument. Yeah.
0: Instrument, so. I just love the face Kvothe puts on. It's like that classic like Edimaru stage training and just getting into character for this whole interaction. Well, yes, yes. Because they, you know, they kind of starts go like in. bantering shop guy yeah and at first the pawn shop guy is clearly like new to the game he's like he was either drunk or new shop owner because he was all sunny and cheerful and like <laughs> how you doing super friendly and Kavoth, being Kavoth, knows that he needs to get this loot at all costs he wants it desperately but he doesn't want to let the shopkeeper know he's that interested
1: right he's got to play it really cool and try and like drive the price down
0: so at first the shopkeeper's like oh it's four talents and, Which,
1: as we already know, he does not have four talents.
0: Yeah, so Kavoth is, like, messing around with the loot a little bit. He's like, oh, the strings are old. And, you know, it's not even for me. It's for my little brother. He's, like, little bastard, you know, is always playing on mine. You know, this is, like, not even for me. And he's purposefully out of tuning the... Lute and Yeah, clang. like just a
1: hair off each one though, and then plays like a minor chord, and, and minor chords already sound sad. So, so, with all of it together, it just sounds bad. So, he's like, mm, I think the neck is cracked.
0: He's like, Is this, It's. I don't want to give my brother a loot that has a sour neck. Like, I don't know. This is like a really janky, like, loot.
1: And it's funny too because the pawn shop guy offers him a lower price, and then Kaboth does that. And he's like, You know, I don't want to buy, I don't want to buy a loot with a crooked neck not for three and two. And so then the the pawn shop guys like three even, which is when Kaboth realizes, like, this guy's desperate. Like, I can play this because he needs the money and this loot is not selling. So I definitely have the upper hand in this situation, like, as long as he can play the, the situation out. And he does end up getting the loot, but it's so interesting because right before he agrees, he says, like, I wanted to play it so cool and make it look like I wasn't interested just to like seal the deal but he's holding on to this loot with everything he has and like his whole soul needs he knows he needs this loot
0: but I love that the way internally he's dying for this but uh, like externally he's like well this is a piece of crap I know like
1: uh. (laughs) it's so sad because he was saying he's like you know I felt crippled and I felt like I'd lost a limb since like losing my loot and my family and so like the desperation on both, like, the is clearly desperate for money, but Kvothe is ten times more desperate to have this loot. but the way he plays it is just so cool.
0: And literally, just another great Kvothe line. Listen, I said to him frankly, I've got two and two for you. I, he pulled out his purse. You can take it, or this ugly thing can gather dust on a high shelf for the next ten years. And I just oh like there's like such a harsh reality to it because you're an imray. It's not like you're a tanker going to like the backwoods of some random town that doesn't have access to instruments. So yeah, exactly. You're literally in like the music hub. So musicians. No are one's not gonna buy this. Gonna want this.
1: I kind of wonder how it ended up there in the first place.
0: He basically destroys his pawnbroker's soul, and he. I feel bad
1: for that guy because he was really nice, but I guess. He is a pawnbroker, so he's meant to be not a good character.
0: No. Kvothe really makes a fine bargain. <laughs> he gets his loop, and <laughs> guess whose door he's knocking on?
1: Oh, yes.
0: Goes back to Debbie's.
1: And, yep, he does the uh, full, loan. full loan. And it was funny, because she even was going to agree to do a half, a half loan of two talents, and he says, nope. I need the full, the full four. He puts his blood in a bottle. (laughs) And as, as he's doing it, she seals it up with this like specific glue. And he's so that she, when you pay off your loan, she can give you the bottle fully sealed. And it's funny because he's like, well, you know, if you had the solvent for the glue, you could just
0: tamper with tamper
1: with it. And she is not impressed with his like statement about this. So she kind of just gives him a withering look. And uh, that was the end of his commentary on things.
0: Though there is, like, a little hint about Debbie with it. So they describe her home very simplistic. Mm -hmm. But then she carves a bottle with a diamond stylus. Well,
1: if you're carving glass, don't you need something harder than glass, too?
0: Yeah, but even, I don't know as, as far as this world, but... If you have a diamond stylus in order to carve glass rather than, like, painting it or using a sticker, clearly indicates that she's doing pretty well.
1: Can you etch into glass with metal? So why would you need diamonds?
0: Viewers, if anyone knows the answer to this question, reach out to us. I don't know anything about us.
1: glass etching, so yeah, somebody tell me what's up with this.
0: Because, obviously... Could we... she be
1: using it for something else?
0: I don't What think the heck so. do you
1: carve with diamonds?
0: No, I... I think it's just the fact that it's such a hard surface; it can literally scratch anything.
1: That's what I mean. What is she? What else could she be using this for?
0: I guess, I'm not sure.
1: Like, well, why have it? Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a very fancy item to have. I mean, she clearly has lots of money, but I think most of it's in loans. Like, I don't think she has a lot of cash on her. Especially because right at the end, she gives both a check essentially to take to a money lender oh i
0: thought that was like a leave no trace kind of thing
1: no 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 she gives him a a piece of paper and says you can take this to any money lender on either side of the river so i think basically she's drawing on her accounts
0: oh okay Um,
1: i'm not sure how the money system works in this world and i'm not super clear on how money worked pre-coinage sometimes but i think basically what you could do is like Someone would write you, like, a certain certificate for a certain amount of money, and then you would bring that and get that exchanged for money. Or what you could do is say, like, oh, hey, Sam, this person says they owe me $10, but I now owe you $10. I can give you this coupon, basically, that they've written to draw against their accounts and give it to you, so then you can eventually go cash in the 10.
0: Gotcha. So I think that's
1: how it works. Um, but anyway, we missed it the first time you visited. She was talking about how because Kavoth was so worried about her having his blood, how he was thinking that she could just use it to kill him if he didn't pay his loan. And she was like, well, if I killed everyone who came and, we'll and made loans with business. me, I wouldn't stay in business. We'll work out some kind of deal. So she paints herself as a very reasonable character. That situation. And, she was like, and I think she, it's more powerful for her to have people in her debt than it is for her to be killing people.
0: That and just the threat, like... Yeah, technically I could, or I could sell your blood to somebody who hates you.
1: Yeah, that was even scarier.
0: Yeah, so because cover- they talk
1: about Ambrose buying that guy's debt from someone and like putting him in the poorhouse and giving him tuberculosis, basically. Yeah. So, she's very powerful. But anyway, the chapter ends with Kavoth having his tuition money and having his loot. Chapter fifty-one: Tar and Tin. So this is a short chapter that's mostly about, the first part is about Sigildry and how Kvothe is starting to study Sigildry under Kilvin. And Sigildry is really cool because it's basically like sympathy, except for you use runes to do the sympathetic links for you, which is the basic like tenet of the idea. But then Kvothe starts going into like how complicated it is and how you need to link things using different runes but then the runes might not react in the same way or like maybe they don't like mesh properly so then you have to add extra runes to them or like the example he's giving is with bricks so he's talking about like most bricks are made of clay but not all so then you have to actually make a sympathetic link to the iron that's within the brick and like it's super complicated and really
0: fascinating
1: and I don't understand it 100% yeah but I think the point of it is to explain how complicated it is and then to show how brilliant he is because it takes him seven days to learn all the runes.
0: Yeah. yeah. like and I, don't, I don't There's learn... 197 runes, and I love that it is kind of like its own language, but he even says that for more complicated projects, you kind of have to create your own runes.
1: I think that's cool. And I've you're... been trying to learn German on Duolingo for like three years now, and I've never learned another language, so I'm not very good at it. But I, I'm i intrigued by languages where you can make new words by combining words. Mm. Like, I was um, learning, and this is, like, pretty simple, but, like, words like, in German, like, Feuerzeug, are, like, fire and tool. And, like, you put them together. So it literally translates as fire tool into English, but it's a lighter.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah,
1: so they build words like that. And I know that... Um, huh like, Chinese and Japanese and Korean, which are symbol, more symbol-based languages, you can use to create, like, words out of, some of the symbols are just sounds, so, like... You
0: take fractions of them and put them together.
1: Right. So, like, if we wanted to say your name, we would take sounds for, like, S, A, uh, and M. so, like, sam, and put them together, but those might each mean three different things, so your name might translate to, like... Something else. Something completely different, even though you just say sam. Right. So, it, that's kind of my best understanding of it. I don't have a good grasp on language, and obviously runes are not a language I've ever encountered. So,
0: yeah, and so it's really interesting, especially later in the story where there's higher levels of sigilry for blood and bone. For you know when he's making a gram, and oh, yeah. all these other you know things that he needs in order to create things take sigilry. But
1: there's a part in I think the next book. Someone has, like, basically a refrigerator. That somehow the rune that creates, like, a cold situation... It
0: removes heat to create the cold. It gets, like, worn away over time. Yeah, or there's,
1: like, a nick in it, so basically it's, like, misspelled and dysfunctioning now. So, like, the rune has to be, like, re-put back onto it for it to work. I don't know, I think it's cool.
0: No, it's really interesting, because... Whether it's sympathy or singledry or artificing, there's
1: lots of rules.
0: Yeah, it's not just like unlimited magic, but then there is, in a way, with naming. So,
1: yeah, but the consequences of naming are like you'll probably go insane.
0: Yeah, so I like that there, there's kind of a, a balancing act in uh
1: or like there, there is unlimited quote-unquote, like, sympathy. Like, you can do sympathy as many times as you can create bindings and stuff.
0: Well, as long as you have, like, the body But, like, energy. you have to be,
1: like, strong enough to do it. Like, yes, you can have unlimited, but you have to have the resources to to follow through on it. Yes. I don't know, It's cool.
0: No, it is cool. It, it, cr- it makes it believable because there's rules to follow. Mm-hmm. So we have Kavot over on the rooftop of Mainz, uh practicing his loot this afternoon in between classes, And he's just so glad to have his loop back, have a loop back and be able to play music again. And he's just practicing different like fingering and chords and songs. And
1: I like that he found a secret little courtyard to play in. Yeah. Like there's so many like nooks and crannies in mains because it is this building that just like keeps building and building upon itself. So he found this like secret courtyard that's been walled off, and he can see into somebody else's class from there, but he can't like you can't get to that courtyard unless you go out of out a window or over a roof.
0: Yeah, and so really interesting point happens here, and it's very much a foreshadowing of Ari entering the the plot is while he's practicing the loot on the rooftop, he hears like a metal grate kind of slide open and shut. Mm-hmm. So he hops off the roof and he starts looking around and. He doesn't see anything, he doesn't see anyone, but he does notice that there's, like, an apple on the ground.
1: Yeah, but, but it's, it's not like, from across any... the courtyard from the apple tree, so it couldn't have rolled there.
0: Right. And so, when he eventually notices a gate, he then tries to lift it, but it stops. And I believe when he's uh, lifting the gate, he realizes that there's, like, a...
1: Isn't there sickle tree... On the grate, yeah, using a... it to keep it shut.
0: Yes, yeah, um, thank you.
1: So he he didn't realize it at first, but he was just, like, tugging, thinking the grate was stuck or heavy. And then later on, he, like, felt something? Yeah, he feels, like, etching in the bars. And he realizes that it's the same runes that he had just been learning. Uh, and he put all the runes to a song, which is how he learned them in seven days. Yeah, uh, but... ten...
0: Ten Tap Tim, he puts all these runes together in order to create a song for memorization, which is really cool. Because it's um, so
1: smart. It's much easier to remember things if you have a little tune to remember them.
0: Too. Yeah. So he's doing this apprenticeship with uh, Minette, and they do like a two-hour examination of his uh, ability with runes, and he ends up passing this examination. You know with. Proving the fact that he really understands his runes so he can move on to more advanced projects now in the fishery.
1: I think it's mostly because he needs money, and so he's trying to progress as quickly through, as he can through the artificiary so that he can uh, make artificial projects that will sell for higher amounts. Because he's been working in the fishery, but like cleaning or tidying or like organizing supplies, and Kelvin pays him for that, but he knows that if he can make things for sale they'll be, he'll have a much higher profit. And he also knows that the faster he can, like, go through the university, the less he'll have to worry about tuition in the future.
0: Yeah. Because he's he's getting by, but just barely.
1: Yep. And so it literally ends, the chapter ends with him saying, like, time is running out. Like, I I don't think I'm gonna have enough time to make the money back.
0: Next semester. For next semester. Chapter 52. Burning.
1: Ugh. This is... One of the most interesting chapters, I think.
0: Well, I like that it's an aptly titled chapter because there's two points with this. Uh, there's the burning of like Kavoth burning out quite literally, like all his time at the university is coming towards an end of the semester again. He's feeling burnt out because he's of his course load and way more than he can chew. Yeah, he's just like running ragged, and eventually, what we're about to get to with burning being the um, duel with Fenton. Mm-hmm. In Elksadal's class. So I like that there's kind of multiple iterations for this title of the chapter. I just thought it was creative.
1: It is creative. But yeah, so like, Kavos burning out. He says he uh, has two hours every day in the Medica, running or standing, two hours of lecture in mathematics, three hours of studying under Mane in the fishery. So that's one, two... Three, four, five, six, seven hours. And then there's sympathy, which he doesn't say how much time he spends in sympathy, but I would imagine it's another two hours. Oh, three hours. So that's ten hours. And then he works in in Kilvan's shop, which is probably another three hours. So it's 13 hours. And then he's trying to play loot as well. So not only is that a huge amount of time every day to do all those things, but those are all tiring things, especially... Advanced Sympathy with Alex the So that's where this chapter ends up focusing on. But
0: that doesn't even include, like, homework. Those are- That's just, just really class
1: time. And that doesn't include anything you have to do regularly, like eat or shower or do your laundry. So-
0: He's keeping busy. He's gonna be
1: getting, like, five hours of sleep per night. Yeah. That's just not enough. He ends up running into Willem and Simon having lunch, and he really- Hasn't seen him that much because he's oh, been, been so Oh, it's been
0: like busy. weeks. It's been a couple of span, I think they said. So
1: they're kind of like beating around the bush, trying to figure out where he's been. So Willem's like, "Are are you been sick?" And then Simmons like, "Yeah, you know, he's been sick for a whole month straight. Real likely."
0: Uh, the first song, I like that their first thought was, like, it's definitely a girl he's seeing. Someone. Yeah, so Simon's
1: super jealous, and he's like, I don't appreciate, like, obviously if any of us, like, gets a girl, we'll all be excited, but, like, I don't appreciate if you spend all your time with a girl and just ditch your friends. Yeah. Which I think everyone's experienced that, especially in this kind of, like, high school age when one of your friends starts dating someone and you just, like, don't see them again for You're a like, while. Dude, really? They're like, so busy. So he's really annoyed. With, uh,
0: Kvothe? Kvoth.
1: Jeez, I don't know.
0: You know, the protagonist. You know, the
1: main character.
0: <laughs> but he's also too proud and, like, couldn't tell them that he's just busy. Well, that's the thing. He always says in these earlier chapters, like, he could never go for them for money or anything. Like, even though they're really close friends, he never wants to appear weak. And
1: No, but I think he could explain, like, I have bad. this many hours in this class and this many hours in this class and this many hours in this class. Like, I'm just... I bit off more than I can chew. Which is, they do come to that conclusion. They realize that that's exactly what is happening.
0: I think Kavoth is just prideful.
1: It is. But Willem eventually is like, we all bite off too much sooner or later. Some students don't know when to spit their mouthful out. And they burn out. Or yeah. they botch their exams. Or they quit. Or they, or they crack. crack. <laughs> and then Kavoth, I love, goes, I have been bit off too much. Like, just in, in total denial. denial that he's struggling. <laughs> and, um... Will tells him to look in a mirror, but then the bell rings, and he's like, well, gotta go to my next thing. See you later. Mm -hmm. So his friends are definitely concerned about him, and I think they're really good friends, and I think both are just too nervous to ever open up to them. So I sometimes wonder, like, what they talk about as friends, especially if you're in school and, like, 100% of your life is, like, being in class and stuff. It seems like he would just be talking about that with them, but I guess he's hardly seeing them, so... I
0: don't know. So I think he does have a lot to talk about with them, and I'm sure they, you know, talk about classes and this and that, but I think Kvothe isn't the type to just complain about what's going on in his world.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I
0: think he's more just like, you know, talk about people and classes and things that are happening, but he's not the type of person to keep going on about what's going on in his world. True. That's just not his personality trait whatsoever. So...
1: He leaves his friends and runs off to Advanced Sympathy. And in Advanced Sympathy, Alxadol has been... Also, I love the uh, description of Alxadol of, like, a stereotypical evil magician.
0: Yeah, just, like, short, close-cropped beard. Kind of like
1: a... For me, I imagined him looking kind of like Jafar, like, with very severe yeah. characteristics. And, like uh. Maybe, like, big bushy eyebrows and, like, a funky beard, like a kind of, like, a goatee. But then he's, like, kind of nice and whimsical so, like, he doesn't I'm, I'm, I get the impression that, like, he looks scary, but is actually nice.
0: Yeah, like, looks to be deceiving kind of moment.
1: But he's basically been spending class times pitting students against each other to see who can win in these sympathy duels.
0: Yeah. And so, they're not necessarily, like, fighting each other, but... That's, no, no, no. That's kind of what Kavolt has taken away from me. He's like, you know, all these people eventually end up graduating, being sent to the world. So, although we're strengthening our sympathy skills. We're also preparing for the real world where one day we might be pitted against another arcanist and we need to be prepared for that.
1: It seems like it's a lot unspoken, of arcanists but... work in royal courts mm-hmm. as, like, advisors to governments or kings, so it probably makes sense that they need to prepare for, like, mental battle yeah. against other arcanists. But the way that this one is set up is each student gets a candle and... Um, the, the duels are set up where you can pick like your binding or your uh, link material, but the goal of the duel is to light your opponent's candle using sympathy while preventing them from lighting your own. So you have to at least divide into your brain into two to create a link with your opponent's candle and also create a defense for your own candle. So it's right off the bat pretty tricky.
0: Let and... alone the link that you're using and defending against someone else's mind. Exactly. So, Kavot has been, like, top of the ranking for a while now. Yeah,
1: nobody's beat him. Which
0: is, like, really impressive, because although he, you know, from early on in the story, he's had a good grasp on it, but this is, like, literally advanced sympathy class.
1: Yeah, and, like, you're testing People... your mental fortitude against somebody, like, especially if they do multiple duels on a class, like, that can be tiring if you're winning three or four in a row.
0: Yeah, and like clearly his classmates have had a lot of experience longer than he has Mm -hmm. doing this, but he's just either very talented, naturally gifted, or just has an apt for. He's good at it.
1: Unfortunately, what that means though is that the secret betting that's been going on during these duels, the odds are coming down. So no one really wants to bet on Kavoth anymore or bet against him anymore. So it's hard for him...
0: To make to money. To make
1: any money. So at the beginning, it sounds like he was making pretty good money. He and Savoy are in the same class, and they'll um, bet for each other when one of them is dueling. And so it's hard for Quote to turn a profit now. So in this class, his goal is to, like, make as much money as possible right now because he knows the semester's ending. So he makes, like, an impossible link. He picks
0: straw, And he bets two jobs on it, and it's all the money he has Ugh. Which he earned, you know, working in the fishery. Things kind of get away from him. Because although he bets Straw in his duel against Fenton, Fenton also gets a choice of source. Which usually the person who picks the type of duel gets. So Cavolt
1: was, was expecting to, to be able to pick brazier. the link despite having picked Straw. So he thought he could use straw, but then draw on the fire as a heat source to light his opponent's candle. But for whatever reason, Elksadal does not organize the duel this way, so Fenton picks no source. So the only thing they have to draw on is their own bodies.
0: Yeah, and Fenton did this knowing that he's got a way better advantage having um, his link being wicking and Cabos being straw.
1: Didn't Cabos say that there's like a 1% conversion with straw?
0: Like at best.
1: Yeah, so it's... It's basically impossible for him to win this.
0: Yeah, Fan's like 10 times more effective. And
1: unfortunately, he's already told Savoy to bet his money. And now realizing that like the odds are so stacked against him, he can't signal to Savoy to not do that. So all his money, it appears, is just going to like go away and get bet away.
0: So they have the guys take a seat at a table. There's two candles placed down, and they begin their duel. And so...
1: I love that right off the bat, both tries to distract Fenton by, like, telling him a joke.
0: Yeah, what does he say? Like, Did he's just
1: about... literally grasping at straws, which is kind of funny because that's his link, but yeah, like, he, he has no plan here. He has no strategy. just fake it,
0: it. he makes. He's like, hey, Fenton, have you heard of the one about the tinker, the telon, the farmer's daughter, and the butter churn yet? Which, like, clearly is, like, in your window for, like, a dirty joke. A dirty joke. No, not even... Giving him the time of day, Fenton, just, like, really deep in concentration.
1: I'm glad that that did not work.
0: One thing that was clever is Kavot does do a sympathetic binding where he binds his candle to Fenton's candle, moves his candle, and it creates a link moving Fenton's candle. So
1: Fenton's candle gets thrown on the floor, right? And he gets
0: distracted, but he quickly jumps back into it without getting distracted for too long and protecting his candle still. So now they're just kind of, like, in a really big tug-of-war, of like, wills and wits of trying to defend and light each other's candle. And Cavolt is, you know, slowly getting worn down. He's just, at this point, focusing solely on defense because he knows there's no way he can light Fenton's candle with the link that he has. And there's a couple times where his candle starts to wisp of smoke, begins to curl around it.
1: Yeah, so he, like, doubles down with his defense. He but does. He's wearing himself out, and Fenton is too, because they're just, like, locked in this battle. The battle comes to such a head that, essentially, Fenton's eyes get glassy, and Kvothe, like, is doubling down and sees the smoke come out of Fenton's cannon. and is like, alright, this is, like, that last little, like, push, if I can somehow make this happen, I will, but he's, like getting really cold because he's using the heat from his body to light Fenton's candle and then all of a sudden Fenton like lays down and goes
0: to sleep he like wears himself out literally. and
1: everyone thinks that Fenton like just like used up all his energy and like sopped himself of strength but what actually happened is he's gotten something called binders chills and Kavoth realizes what happened because he was also drawing heat from his own body so he's very cold and chilly
0: it's like really bad. It's not even just like, oh, he's kinda cold, like he's pretty much hypothermic at this stage where immediately Exodol runs over to Fenton, does a binding of For
1: heat, heat and, and like tell tells someone to go to the medica and like get help immediately. Like it's actually like really pretty dangerous.
0: Yeah, like, it takes a while, like, 15 minutes before he's even able to, like, drink anything warm, and he's, like, literally shaking. And
1: Oxidol says that if they hadn't been there to react immediately, he would have just gone to sleep and died.
0: Like, that would have been it. That would
1: have been it for a class, which is kind of crazy. Um, But the reason he had, like, this extreme case is because he drew heat from his blood. So Kavoth is drawing heat from his like extremities mm-hmm. um, and like slowly cooling his body. But Fenton, because he was like trying to push for that last little bit to win the duel, drew heat from his blood. And your blood, since it's obviously flowing through your whole body, will cool your whole body down quickly and all at once. Whereas drawing from your extremities will like cool an arm or whatever. So it's like basically if you get, you know, like frostbite on a finger versus like hypothermia over your whole body. The reason he did it is because it draws a lot more heat than, like, your flesh. So, like, you can create
0: more of a conversion with it. Yeah, it's, There's like, a fast mask. acting, but not for a prolonged battle like he did. Right. So, Dahl says that you could safely decrease your
1: body temperature only one and a half degrees, and that's it. Anything more than that is going to be entering
0: into the danger zone. And... I think Savoy calculates that he did, like, eight or nine degrees, so, like, he was, like, truly, like, hypothermic. Yeah, so your body would be at, at about,
1: like, 90 to 92 degrees, which is way too cold for your body.
0: And even Kavot had a hard time. Like, while everything was going on and everyone was kind of, like, tending to Fenton, he, like, dipped out of the class for, like, a minute and basically, like...
1: Had, like, a cold shiver seizure in the back hallway by himself. Like, yeah. Like, he didn't want anyone to see him be weak, but he was, like, on the brink of having a disaster himself, too.
0: So once again his like reputation's intact and everyone thinks he like not won effortlessly, but he can't be defeated. He can't again, be, it's yeah. playing... like his opponent
1: almost died, even though the odds were way in his favor.
0: And again, playing back into the whole thing with Kavot of like if your enemies think you can't be hurt, then you He'll,
1: know Yeah, then you're in- invincible. Exadolvus dismisses class basically saying Fenton would have died if we had not been here. So, like, leaving everyone with this, like, very intense and dire warning, like, like to be very careful and to only know ever your use limitations. this unless it's, like, a life or death situation and you have to know your limitations and, you know, also do your readings because no one knew the conversion for how much uh, body heat you could take from yourself. And then he keeps Kaboth behind yeah, they have a cool to check on here. him, and it's kind of cool because Elksadal also asks him how much money he won from the betting, even though like he's clearly not supposed to know that that's going on in his class. Um, but Kaboth won 22 jots, so a little over two talents, and obviously he went from 2 to 22, so he's pretty pleased with himself. And Elksadal asks him how he's doing, and he, he lies and says he's fine. Even though this is when he says he had run out in that back hallway and...
0: Yeah, like, basically had a whole episode.
1: Yeah, he says he was, like, shivering so hard he thought his teeth would break. But he has this statement that's just, like, my reputation was intact. Like, that's, like, clearly the most important thing for him. And then it's nice because Oxladec knows that, like, something's not quite right and tells him to come over and hang out by the fire with him for a few minutes just to warm up.
0: yeah. And then classic Kavoth being so guarded, like hangs out for like a minute and is like, I've gotta go.
1: I know. Which is sad because Oxadol's clearly trying to care about him. And yeah. I think the, some of the masters are very intrigued by him because he is so powerful. Like Kilvin knows he's powerful. Oxadol has seen how powerful he is. Like they're they're interested in him not only as a student, but also like as a sympathist and like yeah, someone like who's what he'll become. Yeah.
0: And so there's a cool line here where um Oxidal says like Cavill says, thank you for the fire, and he goes, We're both sympathists. You're welcome to it anytime. And it's just like a nod of respect moment that I just really enjoy.
1: Yeah, I think it's like breaking down the barriers between like master and student and like seeing him more as, as an equal, even though he is so young. Mm-hmm. But the chapter ends with he sees Willem and Simon a second time in one day, and Willem pretends to be surprised, even though what happened was Will and Sim went behind Ghost's back and told Kilvin not to let him work in his workshop anymore. That he
0: needs, like, a couple of days' time. Because though, he like... needs a
1: break. So, like, they were watching out for him, but...
0: Kvothe is frustrated. Kvothe is so
1: angry at the beginning because that was, like, his source of income. Before he goes to meet Sim, he actually snuck away and played his lute to calm himself down, knowing that he didn't want to, like, turn on his friends, because he he knows that their intentions were good, and because they don't know how important it is for him to go to the fishery and make money, like, they were just trying to be good friends. Yeah, they
0: think he's just being over-dedicated to be over-dedicated.
1: Yeah, and for someone who hasn't had... Like, he had the troop when he was young, but then... He most it's of them insane. were adults. He hasn't, had anyone that like, cared he about hasn't really had any friends his own age ever before. Mm. So I think he's not really sure what to make of it. But he does like a good job and doesn't turn on his friends and says that he'll forgive them if they tell him everything they know about the Aeolian. Oh yes. And so that's where we're gonna wrap up this episode because the whole set of chapters involving the Aeolian are a fantastic set. I'd like to talk about them all at once. But I really love this set of chapters because Kavoth is like I kept saying, like a high stakes roller and getting into these crazy situations, like whether it was with Ambrose or with Devi or with Fenton in class. Like he's making a big reputation for himself, and actually, there's reason for it now. Like his first semester, he really liked to spread rumors about himself, but now it's like. Look, he's talking the talk and walking the walk. Like, he is really good at sympathy. He is really good at the fishery. He's good at runes. He learned a language in, like, a week. Like, he's impressing everyone, but because he is such a large character, like, you make big enemies, but you also make, like, big wins and everything. So everything he does is just on a large scale.
0: Yeah, the risk and the reward.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. But... Next week, we will talk about the Aeolian and everything uh, that happens there with Kavoth and his music. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and
0: happy happy reading! reading.
1: This podcast was recorded by Anna Opischinski and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opischinski, produced by Anna Opischinski and Sam Furman, with webpage
0: and artwork designed by Anna Opischinski.